Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everybody. Oh, hang in there. I know, I know, annoying. But there's one thing I think would help you, and I hope you guys are doing it, finding ways to get some exercise during quarantine. Last night, I did two sets of 50 squats in my kitchen, and then I did some push-ups right on the carpet. Very exciting. I happen to have been lucky. I got a Peloton for my birthday two years ago, and it has saved me. But people have had to get very creative after All gyms and fitness studios pretty much nationwide were ordered to close during the potential spread of the coronavirus. So I don't know if you heard about it this week. You may have heard about the gym owners in Camden County, New Jersey, who this week defied Governor Phil Murphy's stay-at-home order. They opened their doors and said, come on back in. They really were defiant about it. How did it work out? Well, after a few warnings and a slap on the wrist, let's just say it did not end well. Attila's Gym, that's the name of it, was ordered to close last night by New Jersey Department of Health and now may face criminal sanctions or civil penalties if the gym owners, I guess, try to reopen again amid the pandemic. But, you know, it really underscores the desperation that gym owners feel. They don't want to lose their businesses. I want you to meet somebody who is a rockin' fitness studio chain owner Right up until the coronavirus forced her to shutter her seven dance fitness locations and fight for the fate of her company as she had to furlough about 98% of her staff and she gave up her own salary, she decided to take action and empower an entire community to take care of one another. I'd like to welcome 305 fitness founder and CEO Sadie Kurzban to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Sadie. Hey, Liz. Wow. Such a great intro that put a big smile on my face. (laughs) Well, you know, you're an inspiration and that's what we do here because we really want people to understand that success comes with a lot of failure attached to it. Um, And I don't know. I don't know what you've been doing to work out, but as far as I'm concerned, you haven't worked out until you use two bottles of olive oil as weights, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're not doing any any of that. Um, we're just teaching people that there's no equipment required. You really can just get up and move. Exercise doesn't need to be a whole science. You know, it's enough. It's enough to just get up, dance, move your butt a little, just a little bit of movement to be able to have that mental clarity. Uh, and you don't need anything fancy. You don't even need olive oil bottles. You just do it with your own feet. (laughs) I like it. You know, we're laughing and we're making jokes here, but this has been really, really tough and serious on you because, you know, you, along with every other small business, shuttered and then holding on for dear life as resources and funding started to dwindle. How bad has it gotten during the pandemic for you? Well, in terms of, from a business standpoint, it's been really challenging. Obviously, we have seven brick and mortar studios, like you mentioned, and 
our business is about group fitness, right? So people generally pay us per class and there's 30 people in a room and people are dancing next to each other and breathing and sweating. Not a great environment when there is a pandemic going on. So we shuttered our doors. We actually chose to do it early in advance of of other businesses in New York doing it. And it's devastating. The economic impact is devastating. We are doing 2% of the revenue that we were doing before without that main source of income. But it's also opportunity. And in the midst of all this chaos, there's going to be a lot of change. And I have a lot of faith in myself, in the team, and most importantly, in this community of customers that we have that have told us, you know, thank you for taking care of us during this time. We will figure out a way to pay it forward. So I I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith that we will be able to weather this storm and actually that hopefully we can turn around one day and say that this was actually a blessing in disguise in some way. Well, it is because you have to face very difficult times to understand that that's real life and that is the real world. Although I just think that this has been a gut punch in so many ways that has caused some real internal bleeding for a lot of businesses. But I'm very interested to know right off the bat your history here, because before we get to the big moment, which is you finally got the PPP money, the Paycheck Protection Program money, and boy, did you have to wait a long time for it. I want to rewind the clock a little bit and tell me how you began this business, because it is a phenomenal story. So I got my start by teaching fitness classes in college, just as a fun little side side hustle for myself. And I got tired of being paid peanuts by the athletic director at my gym. You know, I I kept bargaining for a raise and I wasn't getting it. And I knew that I was getting all of these students to come take my my dance fitness classes. I was onto something. So really out of just frustration and a bit of ego, I decided to do it my own way, cut out the middleman and rent studio space right next door and charge $5 cash at the door. And by doing that every day, packing the room with 50, 100 kids at a time, I made $40,000 just straight cash in my senior year of college. Yeah, just doing that. (laughs) So that was really the um, just this idea of starting small. It was really just let me teach a class and charge $5 and see if people will come up, you know, and then doing that again the next day and doing that again the next day. It was really just starting with this pretty small idea that I was able to develop what turned into a full-blown business. Uh, Full-blown is right. You're in Boston, you're in D.C., as well as New York and a bunch of other locations. And celebs, they're loving your club. Miley, who else? So I can't say, but <laughs> we, do, we do have some well-known people that love to take the class. It's, it's just such an inclusive environment. It really is. And I think that for a lot of celebrities and influencers who may be treated like they're these gods walking down the street. 305 is just this place where they can be silly. They can dance. They can shake. We have these dim lights. You know, we do this nightclub setting so people can just get lost in themselves and lose themselves in the music. And it's very, it's very therapeutic and healing from the inside out for so many people. We kind of jumped over a really good moment for you because you were so excited about giving your own classes. And I guess just saying, I'm done with working for the man, Uh, you know, and it wasn't that the man wasn't paying you. It's that the man wasn't paying you what you felt you were worth. You took the bull by the horns, but, you know, you attended Brown University, majored in economics, you're getting that great education, but you entered a contest. Did you not? Tell us about that. 
That's right. So my senior year of college, as I was thinking, what do I want to do? You know, what do I want to grow up and be? I really just kept coming back to this idea. And it was this simple idea that in the fitness industry, in group exercise, there's so much shame and there's so much exclusivity. And it's all about making sure you have the the price tag of clothing walking in the door that you're already fit before you even get started. And I hated that message. And I knew that there were more people that were sitting on the couch feeling like outsiders than people who wanted to keep being super competitive and keep working out. So I really just saw that there was this white space in fitness to create a brand that was targeted mostly at younger people. We have a lot of millennials and Gen Z who love our classes that was really just about self-expression, no judgments, come and have fun. This doesn't need to be like some science. This doesn't need to be about weight loss. This can just be about starting to form healthy habits because you like your body. So that's what the idea was about. And Mm -hmm. I was really inspired by this and I decided to launch a business. So I entered Brown's uh, entrepreneurship pitch competition and I won and I took that money, the $25,000 prize money, along with the money I had made hustling out of this rented dance studio space. And I moved to New York in 2012 to really formally launch the business. And you called it 305 Fitness. Tell us what's behind the 305 name. So 305 is Miami's area code. That's where I'm from and actually where I'm holed up now in my parents' home, in my childhood home. (laughs) And, you know, Miami is a place of endless laughter, joy, celebration. It's a place where DJs are on every corner, where we love, you know, that kind of sexy confidence of walking down the street. I wanted to recreate that and kind of bring that magic, fun vibe to what I felt was a really serious industry, which was fitness. But I wanted to remove the parts of Miami that were hard for me growing up as a young girl. You know, the parts that really told me that my body was my value, that I was, it was all about being put on display for other people. I wanted to sort of create my own 305, my own Miami paradise outside of that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of message that wasn't really nice uh, to a young girl growing up. I think about that a lot because I grew up in L.A., where there's so much emphasis all the way back in the seventies of, you know, how you look, but there was a lot of, a lot of push for fitness. My sweet 16. Okay. Little known fact. I had the, my super sweet 16. I, the original one, I must say, I (laughs) had Richard Simmons teach (laughs) an aerobics class to my entire friend group. Yes. And we had cake and salad bar. He had a place called, um, the roughage in uh, Beverly Hills. And so we took out the place and he taught us an aerobics class. We were all in leotards and things, but I was always into working out. I I didn't think a lot about my physical aspects because my dad was one of the original feminists. We have four girls and then my little brother. And he knew even back in the seventies, how serious a problem that could be if you stressed physical attributes. And so He did not. However, I I see it all over the place to this day. And I think that that it's really, really impressive that you looked at it more as an opportunity to really have fun and to not be ashamed or embarrassed. And that, I think, is very much behind your success. Correct? Yeah, thank you so much. And it's so funny, Liz, that you said that. I have four girls and a little brother. Look at that. Really? A lot in common. And you're half Jewish? Yes, look at that. Right. So, <laughs> you know, there you are. 
You're the same person. You're my sister from another mother. Okay. <laughs> For sure. I mean, no, it really, it really was thanks to similarly to you. I had these three older sisters and a feminist dad who were encouraging me to see the world from a different perspective, but it's really tough. It's tough growing up in a culture that really shames people for having a larger body, that makes people feel like they're less than, and that puts fitness and exercise like it's on some moral pedestal, when in reality, it's it's our own, it's all of our human rights is to get up and move and feel good. Well, applause. Now you have 200 fitness instructors, correct? Tell me what they're doing right now. You know, everybody's been furloughed up until this point, And then you applied for the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, where the big push was for the federal government to give people loans that could be forgiven if you pay to keep your employees, you know, at least getting a paycheck. Tell me what that process was like for you from application to actual check in your hand. So the application process, the whole PPP process was really frustrating for us as a business. We, as you may know, when all of it was announced, there was a lot of, there was a lot, a lack of coordination and a lack of communication. And so we were getting emails and join this webinar and listening to all the experts. And it was really kind of, it was very confusing to navigate it. Let me put it that way. What happened Mm -hmm. is that the federal government wanted to make sure that small businesses like 305 could get money as soon as possible in order to keep staff on. The whole thing was to reduce the cost of the federal government to have to um, give out unemployment, better to give the money to the employers. It's going to reduce all the administrative headaches. It's going to keep people sane and happy. And so the way that they did it was they turned to commercial banks, right, the private sector. And they said, banks, you know, the SBA, we don't we don't have thousands of people sitting here that can process millions and millions of small business applications. But banks, you do this for us. So it was the, the government using the private sector to really just administer these funds. But what happened was without the government giving clear guidelines, like very tight, airtight guidelines to banks, it meant that banks often just wrote their own rules. And as we know, banks have their own capitalist interest, which is to make the Mm -hmm. most amount of money possible. So we have banked with a really large national bank. And even though we filed on day one, basically the minute everything opened up, We had a connection with our banker who told us everything looked great. We were checking in daily. We were prepared. You know, we we really did everything. We crossed our T's and dotted our I's. After two and a half weeks of just waiting, we were told, sorry, we ran out of money. What the hell? Yeah, that was a really disheartening experience. And what we were learning at the same time was that smaller banks were much more successful. The smaller banks out there were doing a much better job of getting money into the hands of small businesses like ours. So what we learned after the fact was that a lot of larger banks were in fact writing their own rules. They were prioritizing their lending customers. Mm -hmm. They were prioritizing bigger checks, bigger businesses. And that just gave us the impetus. We said, all right, rather than waiting around for this big bank to get it together with the second round of PPP funding that that Congress um, put out, we decided to switch banks really quickly. So we moved to a small bank. They were really successful. They hustled. They got it through. But it, it was only because we made a ton of noise, you know, and we put out all these options out there. So really disheartening, really, really disheartening to see that yeah. even though this was intended to support small business, it really ended up in the hands of so much big business at the end of the day. I think that uh, the federal government's intentions were very, very good. 
I think that the breakdown, you're absolutely right, because we covered this story extensively, was that the big boys, the, the JP Morgans, the Bank of Americas of the world, the Wells Fargo's picked and chose their favorite big clients thinking, well, if I make sure they get the money, then they'll continue to do business with us and we'll charge them up the wazoo, et cetera. And the next thing you know, the Lakers are getting millions of dollars. Shake Shack is getting millions of dollars. And it really was not the spirit of the plan at all. When you started to hear that all these companies that had a ton of cash on hand were, were getting millions, what went through your mind? I was very frustrated, obviously. Um, but I, I totally agree with that analysis. That's certainly what it felt like as a small business owner. Even simple things like we asked our large bank, what, where are we in the queue? You know, where are we on the wait list? And they couldn't answer those basic questions. So it, it did give us some pause and made us think that they probably were just picking and choosing their preferred customers instead of actually doing what you said, what it was intended for. Well, the I, you know, is- the one... The one thing that I would have loved to have seen would have just been more money offered in general, because early on, we could have done the math, right? There's 30 million small businesses in America. It wasn't even enough for for all of us to be able to actually rehire people. So more money earlier on, better, you know, guidelines, and then just seeing the private sector actually act ethically, which is hard Mm -hmm. to expect them to do. All of those would have been really important steps to really get the money in the right hands. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The good news is you got the money in your hands. You announced it this week. Tell us what you have done with it and how you've had to sort of parse out portions of it and then keep some of it as dry powder. Right. So the PPP program is it's intended to keep staff, right, to not have to fire people and to keep people on. So we were able to do that. A lot of the staff that we've kept on full time that um, is wakes up every day committed to making 305 the vision that it is. If we had run out of cash in a month or two months, it's definitely given us some more breathing room to keep people on for a while longer. Another thing it's allowed us to do is to be able to bring back on a team of instructors and DJs. So we have another revenue source outside of our studios. It's where we certify dancers to become certified. They get certified and they learn how to teach this class and start just like I did in college, charging $5, $10, start their own pop-up or teach classes online. So to successfully run that program, we need a lot of instructors that can mentor these 
newly certified instructors. So we were able to bring back on a team. And then the rest of it, like you said, we had to use it just to give us a little bit more life, you know, to make sure that we have a business to come back to. So because the PPP is only good for eight weeks, you know, that loan forgiveness window, that's, that's what kind of makes it tough for us to know who we can rehire and how much longer we can. So we were able to bring back people for eight weeks. We'd love to know that we can bring them on for longer, but in order to do that, we'd need to see some changes to PPP funding so that loan forgiveness can extend past that eight week window. Okay. All right. Uh, And I'm just thinking about the future because I always project way too far into the future, but when do you think you might be able to reopen? And, And most importantly, what is the 305 fitness of tomorrow going to look like? Well, for reopening, we are keeping our ear to the ground. I think right now we're mostly in New York and that's a really hard hit city. So we're not sure if it'll be August, September, probably later would be my best guess. But unlike the gym owner that you mentioned at the beginning, you know, we, we just want to do what's right. We want to... Obviously, it's our intention to have a business to come back to, but I have no interest in opening before it's safe to do so. I started this business, like I said, because I wanted health and wellness to feel accessible to people. And opening before it's right, I just wouldn't sleep well at night knowing that that's what we did. So for our studio business, we're going to stay tuned and we're only going to open Frankly, once we've seen other people open and we know what happens, I don't want to be the first one to open our studio doors for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we're working on other other revenue streams. Instructor certification is something I'm feeling really bullish about, potentially monetizing at home. Uh, you know, we're, we're just staying agile and like I did at the beginning days, not being afraid to just start small and start somewhere. Well, I think that's that is absolutely 100% the way to go. Surely you've planned on the moment you reopen and the new world that we have to deal with new protocols. What will you put into place? Because you got a lot of people dancing, breathing, sweating, jumping around, who knows, you know, how this thing we still don't know how it is truly, truly, truly spread. The reopening studio plan is a big plan. There are a, we're building models and there are so many unknowns. Just to give you an example of one of the things we need to think through is uh, when we reopen, if any client says to us, I'm sick, we need to not only notify everyone, but we need to make sure that all staff get that were in the space are sent home for two weeks and are given paid sick time. So you can see that it's just even small things like this, right? Rent renegotiations. There's a lot of moving parts to this. So without even having a clear opening date, let alone how it's going to affect capacity and if there will be a second wave, there are so many like different things to consider here, which is partly why I said that our plan is truly to wait and see and to start mm-hmm. really small. Do you have a sense right now of whether you'll have to raise prices to absorb the cost? It's not something we're considering. And in fact, one of the things we're thinking about is in a downturn of the economy, you know, with over 30 million Americans unemployed and with so much of our customer base being millennial and Gen Z, meaning a lot of them are early in their careers. Many of them were laid off that we may have to explore even dropping our prices. So we're not we're not thinking about raising our prices, but we are thinking about how does this affect the real estate market? And is there a world in which we get better rent deals long term? 
New oh, York especially so, has been so inflated. Yeah. So I'm so glad you're bringing that up. I am of the belief that commercial real estate is going to suffer big time. Everybody's going to come to them and say, cut your prices because they're going to have to. They're going to have to because let's say you vacate. Who are they going to get to go in there again? Everybody's struggling. Have you been able to pay your rent? We have made some concessions uh, with our landlords in particular cases, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, no. We've been holding out. It's just Mm -hmm. my experience with real estate has not been a positive one. Um, (laughs) And, you know, landlords are, of course, facing their own pressures. It's a very complex system. But at the end of the day, this is my business. I love my business and I will fight tooth and nail. And instead of doing something short-sighted, like opening the doors prematurely, I would rather just be very firm and say, I'm sorry, until we open, we cannot pay you. So that is our stance. And how are they receiving that? For the most part, they understand. Like you said, what are they going to do? Take the key, find somebody else who's going to sign a lease right now. So for the most part, you know, we're just trying to do our best and, and really trying to work with them as partners. So trying to tell them, listen, if we can only operate at 30% capacity, we cannot possibly pay you what was already an overinflated rent deal to begin with. So let's have a real conversation about this and figure out how you can still keep us as a tenant and we can still continue to pay you some rent here. I think there's going to be a huge monumental shift. I talked to people who have offices in Midtown that were about to re-up their lease and now they're calling up and saying, are you kidding me? You got to drop this. You were already way too high. It's crazy in some of the big cities. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts on cabin fever. A lot of the world is dealing with it. Quarantine fatigue, uh, they feel cooped up. As mm-hmm. we maneuver through the unknown, what are some you know, physical and, and maybe even mental health tips that you have for our listeners that all work into the 305 fitness theory? Well, I will share with you two tips that I think are really important and that I wish more people in the health and wellness space were sharing. One of them is to rest and sleep more. Mm. This is totally the time to be sleeping eight, nine hours a day, not, you know, not apologizing because you take a big old nap, closing your eyes, laying on the couch. This is a hibernation of sorts. And in our 24-7, always working, always hustling culture, there is nothing wrong with just sleeping and resting. It's amazing for your attitude, for your mind, but also for, for your body. I mean, it's, it's the best thing for your metabolism. So sleep, get a nice rest, rest, you know, as much as you can sleep. And the, the second tip is to reach out to people, especially if you are in isolation. It's really important. Video isn't the same, but I know some of my friends who are living alone, you know, in New York City right now, it's a recipe for depression. When we, they say the difference between wellness and illness is the we versus I. Human beings are made to operate in packs. We're made to have a community. They say it takes a village. So already in a really individualistic society, we have this sickness where we think that it's all about us and that we're alone in this world. And it's just really important to let other people in right now. I'm writing that down. The difference between wellness and illness is (laughs) we versus I. That is that is genius. I have to just end with this because as a, as a business news reporter and anchor, I'm always thinking, you know, what is the best mistake 
you ever made in building this business? Oh, wow. Um, the best mistake. I think the best mistake I ever made was I, the first lease that I signed, I didn't have all the information. I thought it was going to cost us what ended up, I estimated it was going to cost us a 10th of what it cost me. Let me say that I was 24 years old. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars of a bill that I couldn't pay. I had no idea what I was going to do and literally thought I was going to go to jail. It was the most confusing thing I've ever navigated. <laughs> I had just signed a 10 year lease. There was no way of getting out of it. It was absolutely terrifying. At the time it was hell. I've never worked so hard. I've never slept so little. I've, you know, never been so confused by a process. But what I learned in that process was how to really be tough and how to put my feet on the ground and ask people for favors and tell people, I'm sorry, I got to pay you later. And it just really, really had me grow my skin very, like really grew it a lot, uh, really quickly. So in a lot of ways, that experience of being, of throwing myself into this whole process of building out a studio and signing a lease and having no money to do it and just being really kind of naive, honestly, and figuring out as I went, it prepared me for a time like this when there's so much unknown. It, it prepared me to learn how to survive and how to advocate for myself and for this business. Somebody once said about anxiety, if you're not anxious, <laughs> You're not paying attention because in a way that's said by a New Yorker, I'm sure, but <laughs> anxiety propels you. It really does. It. I grew it up really, a lot in that year, for sure. I love it. I love it. I love hearing those kinds of stories because I think it helps our listeners understand that it's not supposed to always feel really great. It, it's supposed to feel anxiety-inducing and worrisome, and then the highs are much higher in a way, aren't they? They are. It's it's not it's not easy being an entrepreneur. When people come to me and tell me they have a business idea, I tell them the only reason to be an entrepreneur is either you got laid off and you have to put food on the table and it's your only option, or you have a passion burning within you that is so great that you will just die if you don't pursue this. But it is not easy. It's really, really challenging to run a business and to start a business and um, takes a lot of courage, really does. But the payoff? The payoff is amazing. It's amazing to be able to say that I work for myself and that I can put out my vision into the world and that I turned around, I can turn around and I say, I did that. You know, that's, that's very gratifying. Sadie Kurzban, founder and CEO of 305 Fitness. Congratulations. Hang in there. This is an amazing amazing story that we've just been able to impart to our listeners. I really appreciate you coming on. Everyone talks to Liz. Oh, thank you. Good luck. Thanks, Liz. All right. I'm going to start disco dancing in the mirror to, to your <laughs> class. Okay. It's going to happen. It's going to be ugly, but it's going to happen. Uh, Sadie, great to talk to you. And you guys, please do me a favor. Tune in every day, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. To see, well, I won't be dancing, but in a way I kind of do because I'm so into what I do. Sadie just talked about passion. That's how I felt about being a newscaster. I would sit there at night, couldn't sleep, and I'd say, I, I have to be a reporter. I want to, I want to do this. I want to be a journalist. It's a real driver. Pick your passion and then fight like hell for it. I'll see you the next time on Everyone Talks to Liz. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.